attention, please. This is a piece of art. This Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and ordinarily this show's all about comics, movies, and TV shows. But right now, I'm still near the beginning of what's, at least for right now, shaping up to be a year's worth of six-episode miniseries dedicated to specific themes, or topics, or characters, or ideas, or, or just whatever else. Take this current run of episodes, for example. Starting right here, in this very episode, I'm kicking off a series all about women in comics. Now, usually these miniseries have some type of little cutesy name to them, but I can't really think of a name for a series about women in comics that doesn't seem patronizing, so I'm just calling it Women in Comics. Because I'm so creative. Anyway, the idea here is pretty simple. I mean, let's face it. Comics are sort of a man's game. Less so now than they used to be. That much is true, but still, comics as a form are dominated by men, both as creative forces and as lead characters. Well, I like women in comics as much as the next guy, so why not talk about female-driven comics that either I've always loved or else I've never read before. Makes sense to me. Now, one comic series I've always loved is Alias. I mean, it's a super-powered, private-eye, noir comic. What's not to like? Another thing, and I'll get into this way later in the future, but the other thing is the series was written by Brian Michael Bendis. Now. Brian Michael Bendis gets picked on and pushed around a lot of the time, and I really don't understand why, because I seriously dig Bendis as a writer. I think he writes cool superhero comics. And I can fairly well say that I've never read a Bendis comic and thought to myself, man, that was a real piece of shit. So, apart from the fact that I really enjoy the comics, it also seemed like a chance to stand up for Bendis. Another thing that's totally worth celebrating, though, is the fact that Jessica Jones is one of those few brand-new characters that comes around sometimes and somehow catches on. Jessica's still running around in the modern-day Marvel Universe, which, to me, proves that she's got staying power, so that's another thing that's worth celebrating here. It's weird to think, though, that it might not have turned out that way. 
Alias was part of the Marvel Max imprint. And for better or for worse, I've always associated the Max line with out-of-continuity type stuff. And assuming that's right, Jessica was incorporated into the mainstream Marvel Universe by sheer force of will. Ever since then, she's gone on to marry and have Luke Cage's child, and also become a symbol of, or, or a member, I should say, of the new Avengers. I mean, come on, admit it. That's not bad for a character who'd only been around less than 10 years up to that point, don't you think? But anyway, to get into the comics proper, we've got Alias, number one. Cover date is November of 2001. Editor-in-chief is Joe Casada. Cover artist is David Mack. The story is titled Alias Investigations, Part 1. Writer is Brian Michael Bendis. Penciler is Michael uh, Gatus. Inker is Michael Gatus. Colorist is Matt Hollingsworth. Letterer is Richard Starkings. And editors are Stuart Moore, Kelly Lamy, and Nancy Casada. Jessica Jones, a private investigator in New York City, meets with a client to hand over evidence that his wife has cheated on him. The evidence also shows that his wife is a mutant, which enrages the client to the point that he attacks Jessica. She reacts by throwing the man through the window of her office door. Soon after, NYPD officers make out a report on the incident and discover that Jessica used to work as a costume superhero alongside the likes of Thor, Iron Man, the Wasp, and Miss Marvel. The incident inspires Jessica to, to head on over to a bar owned by Luke Cage, and the two le- uh, later return to Cage's apartment to spend an intimate evening together. Basically, Jessica lets Luke ram it right up her thermal exhaust port. The next morning, Jessica returns to her office to find a woman who's desperate to hire Jones to find her sister, named Miranda Pritchett. The woman relays a tale of Miranda's youthful indiscretions before discussing Miranda's attempts at getting her shit together, quote-unquote, which include a new boyfriend that she fears her sister has fallen for much too quickly. The woman tells Jessica that after explaining her apprehensions to Miranda, her sister disappeared from her apartment and her job without a trace. Jessica claims that people with troubled past sometimes go missing in order to make a fresh start someplace else, but after the woman insists, Jessica agrees to try. That evening, Jessica runs an internet search and discovers that Miranda still lives in New York. She then stakes out Miranda's home until the woman returns with her boyfriend, recording a video as evidence of Miranda's well-being. She also records the video of the boyfriend receiving a page and hurrying off, though not through the front door, from the rooftop. And this only after donning the iconic costume of Captain America. To be continued. Which leads us directly into Alias number two. Editor-in-chief is Joe Casada. Cover artist is David Mack. Story is titled Alias Investigations Part 2. Writer is Brian Michael Bendis. Penciler is Michael Gatiss. Inker is Michael Gatiss. Colorist is Matt Hollingsworth. And letterer is Richard Starkings. After inadvertently recording a videotape of Captain America's secret identity, Jessica returns home, staking out her apartment for nearly an hour before heading inside and finding it empty. She watches the video again, confirming that she did in fact record Steve Rogers donning the costume of Captain America. 
She contemplates destroying the tape, but hesitates, considering that the tape may be her only leverage against the people who set her up to record it. She decides to call her client instead, but finds the phone number has been disconnected. She then hires a taxi to drive her to the client's address, which she discovers is actually a storefront. Finally, she returns to the address of her client's sister and finds a crime scene where she learns that a woman's been strangled. Desperate, Jessica heads to Luke Cage's apartment where she's turned away by a woman spending the night with Cage. The next morning, Jessica visits Avengers Mansion in an, in an attempt to talk to Steve Rogers, but she learns that the Avengers are deployed on a mission. Out of options, she returns to her office where she finds NYPD detective Paul Hall waiting to question her about Miranda Pritchett. Jessica lies about knowing that Miranda was murdered and Hall produces a photograph of the crowd at the crime scene, which proves that Jessica was at Miranda's house the previous night. Hall then asks Jones to accompany him to the police station. To be continued. Which leads us into alias number three. Editor-in-chief is, you guessed it, Joe Casada. Cover artist is once again David Mack. The story is titled Alias Investigations, Part 3. Writer is Brian Michael Bendis. Penciler is Michael Gatiss. Inker is Michael Gatiss. Colorist is Matt Hollingsworth. And letterer is Richard Starkings. In a police station interrogation room, Jessica waits for over an hour before Detective Paul Hall returns to question her about Miranda Pritchett's murder, as well as her own past as a costumed superhero named Jewel. Jessica tries to explain that she's been set up, but Detective Hall persists in trying to elicit a confession for the Pritchett murder, insinuating that Jessica suffers from multiple personality disorder, and that perhaps it was Jewel who strangled Pritchett. Jessica becomes enraged at the accusation, but is prevented from saying anything too damaging by the arrival of attorney Matt Murdock. After ascertaining that Hall's not charging Jessica with any crimes, Murdock escorts her from the station, instructing Hall to schedule all future interrogations through his law office. Outside the station, Murdock explains that Luke Cage contacted him after hearing of Jessica's situation from his friends on the force, quote-unquote. Murdoch assures Jones that the police have no case against her, but asks her if she killed Pritchett. Jessica claims that she didn't, and Murdoch, who realizes that she's telling the truth, advises her to go home and get a good night's sleep. Jessica returns to her office to find the tape containing Captain America's secret identity is still in her possession. She then calls the number of Murdoch's business card to ensure that the law firm is real. After deliberating about it for a while, Jessica visits the home of her friend Carol Danvers, who had to miss out on the Avengers mission due to a case of the flu. Jessica persuades Carol to use the Avengers resources to track the phone number that uh, her client had given her, and Carol eventually agrees to do so. Later that night, Jessica receives an email from Carol indicating that the phone number is owned by LWS Enterprises. The, the email includes LWS's main phone line, which has a 202 area code, which is Washington, D.C., for those of you who don't know. And Jessica calls the number to discover that it connects to the committee to elect the Democratic presidential candidate, Stephen Keaton. To be continued. Alias number four. Editor-in-chief is Joe Casada. Cover artist is David Mack. Story title is 
Alias Investigations, Part 4. Writers, once again, Brian Michael Bendis. Pencilers, Michael Gatiss. Inkers, Michael Gatiss. Colorist is, once again, Matt Hollingsworth. And letterer is Richard Starkins. At a bar inside Washington, D.C., Jessica watches a, a Stephen Keaton campaign ad, including footage of President George W. Bush meeting with various superheroes while being accused of pacifying the special interests of the elite and famous, quote-unquote, and having his ear bent by aliens, mutants, and people hiding behind masks and shadows, quote-unquote. While commentators on the television argue over the positive and the negative aspects of the president's relationship with the superpowered community, Jessica realizes that she was set up to videotape Captain America's secret identity in order to damage the President of the United States. Eventually, the political argument frustrates Jessica to the point where she inadvertently shatters a, a shot glass in her bare hand, at which time the bartender uh, notices that her palm is uninjured and then threatens her with a baseball bat, calling her mutant shit, quote-unquote, and forcing her to leave. Jessica walks down the street to Keaton's campaign office where she finds the blonde woman who hired her to find Miranda Pritchett in the first place in the office working. The woman spots Jessica and flees to the alley behind the building, attempting to make a phone call before she spots Jessica again dropping down from a, neighborhood, a neighboring rooftop into the alleyway. The woman faints and Jessica finds her cell phones dialed Lawson Devanio. Jessica visits the law office of Lawson, Daviano, and Silver, where she confronts David Lawson, accusing him of hiring her through a third party and demanding to know why. Lawson threatens to call the police, but Jessica calls his bluff by telling him that she has a story of her own to tell the authorities. She leaves and sta uh, stakes out Lawson's car in the parking lot, waiting for the lawyer to contact the person who hired him with the intention of following him after he does. While she waits, she receives a phone call from Matt Murdock informing her that the NYPD has dropped its investigation into her based on the autopsy result of Miranda Pritchett. He explains that the bruises and indentations on the neck of the dead girl were those of a large man, which rules Jessica out as a suspect. As Jessica listens to Murdock, a man with very large hands approaches the driver's side door of, Je of Jessica's car. Jessica disconnects with Murdoch and is promptly ripped from the car and thrown onto its roof by a mountainous man who attempts to strangle her. To be concluded. Which takes us into alias number five. Editor-in-chief is, uh, editor is Joe Casada. Cover artist is David Mack. Stories titled Alias Investigations Part 5. Writer is Brian Michael Bendis. Penciler is Michael Gatiss. Inker is Michael Gatiss. Colorist is Matt Hollingsworth. And letterer is Richard Starkings. Jessica's assailant, Michael Man Mountain Marco, attempts to strangle her, but she brutally boxes his ears, forcing him to drop her, and then punches him in the balls. Jessica proceeds to beat Marco savagely while demanding to know who hired him, and though Marco refuses for at least a little while, he eventually relents. On a golf course, Mr. Zumas dis discusses a film project with his assistant moments before Marco's body lands on the fairway right in front of him. 
Zumas's bodyguards draw their weapons as Jessica approaches, but Zumas orders them to stand down so that he and Jessica can talk. He tells Jessica that she ought to sell the tape that she made, and explains that his motivation in tricking Jessica into making the tape in the first place was so that she would give up the flag boy to the press, quote-unquote. Zumas explains that he and his associates had financed the president's campaign, but the president had failed to fulfill his moral debts. Zumas tells Jessica that creating a scandal by exposing Captain America is simply a way of ensuring that the president is not re-elected, being instead replaced by Stephen Keaton, who does understand who and what he is. He then threatens that if Jessica withholds the tape from the public or attempts to implicate him in the death of Miranda Pritchett, he'll destroy her reputation in front of the media before having her killed in her sleep. Jessica realizes that confronting Zumas had been a mistake moments before she receives a phone call from Clay Quartermain, who instructs her to leave the scene immediately. He explains that Jessica has been unknowingly wearing a wire ever, ever since she left the Pritchett crime scene, and Jessica then watches a S.H.I.E.L.D. helicopter descend on the golf course to apprehend Zumas. After returning to New York City, Jessica watches a press conference on TV in which Keaton resigns from the presidential race, crushing the wire that Quartermain placed on her while she does. Moments later, she receives a visit from Steve Rogers, who requests the videotape. Jessica hands the tape over, and Rogers realizes that he's met Jones previously at Avengers Mansion. When he asks why she gave up the work of a superhero, Jessica explains that she never felt like she had the, uh, the ability to inspire the public like the rest of the Avengers, especially Captain America. Rogers counters that she protected him when he needed it most, unlike most people would, and tells her to contact him if, uh, if she needs anything or if she decides to try again. Rogers also suggests that Jessica call Carol Danvers, and then leaves while Jessica takes his advice. The end. So, what did I think? Honestly, this first, uh, the first issue in this is actually really, really good. The dialogue isn't really too over-the-top, cliché type of noir dialogue, you know? From the moment I saw her, I knew she was... trouble. You know, bullshit like that. The dialogue's heavy, but it isn't stereotypical of a crime noir genre, and, and that really helps. Now, excuse me while I take a sip off my Dr. Pepper here. Still, the first few issues are a little heavy on all the profanities. You know, the seven dirty words that you can't say on television. You know the seven, don't you, that you can't say on television? Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits, huh? Those are the heavy seven. Those are the ones that'll infect your soul, curve your spine, and keep the country from winning the war. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Wow. And tits doesn't even belong on the list, you know? And you know what? I get it. Bendis had to establish early on that this wasn't just another mainstream Marvel comic book. The content can be a lot rougher and darker. So, as a result, you get lots of profanities. And 
You also get Jessica Jones getting butt-fucked by Luke Cage. And people, that's all in just the first issue. Another noir trope is the lack of heroes and role models. Nobody in Alias is completely virtuous. Even Jessica, the protagonist of the book, has her share of secrets and dark sides. Nobody's completely heroic. And to be perfectly blunt, that's something that kind of bothered me, actually, because, damn it, that's exactly what Captain America is supposed to be. The idea of even Captain America having skeletons in his closet kind of bugged me. I won't lie. Now, it's not enough to ruin the entire series for me, don't get me wrong, but because I'm not making that argument, but I'm just saying that I wasn't nuts about seeing essentially Marvel's Superman shown to have secrets and bullshit like that. But when you move away from that stuff, the dialogue and inner monologues are otherwise pretty grounded. When the plant swings by Jessica's office to talk about her supposed uh, missing sister, her dialogue's pretty real. And the same's true of other dialogue all through the rest of the series. On top of all of that, Jessica's actions and movements throughout most of the story ring true. She knows she's being fucked with here, and she's determined to find out exactly what's going on. The answer is actually pretty simple. She's a pawn in a presidential campaign. So there's that. But the darker side to that is that someone's bid for higher office involves extortion, blackmail, kidnapping, and murder. Which, needless to say, is pretty fucking sick. But along the way, Jessica gets arrested and then interrogated by the cops. Now, I understand what what, uh, Bendis was going for here. Because this is a pretty accurate depiction of real life. Sometimes... People get arrested for crimes they did not commit. And all too often, they answer questions without their attorney present. They pretty much give up their their right to remain silent. And that pisses me right off. People, you have the right to remain silent. The meaning of that should be self-evident, but since it clearly isn't, I'm going to explain to you exactly what that means. It means that you don't have to answer any questions. It means you have the right to insist on your attorney being present during all your questioning. Here's the thing, people. Miranda writes, that is to say, that little spiel they give you when they slap the cuffs on you, Miranda exists to let you know what your rights are. It's not just something dramatic that they do for TV. You have the right to refuse to answer questions. And the reason you have that right is because anything you say can and will be used against you. Do you understand that? Answers you give to the police cannot help you. But they can incriminate you. It doesn't matter if you're completely innocent. It doesn't matter if you only tell the truth. It doesn't matter if you keep your cool the entire time. Because nothing you say during questioning will help you. If the police truly have some kind of evidence against you, let them build their case on their own. They'll lay their cards out at the trial. And then you can lay your cards out. May the best man win. But 
If you spill the beans too early, they can find or invent ways to poke holes in your story and then use that against you during your trial. Now, lest you think that this is a completely, I don't know, contrived type of situation, look at what happened with Martha Stewart. People, she would have never gone to prison had she had her attorney present during all of her questioning and kept her fucking mouth shut. And now I'm going to give you the other side of that. I'm going to tell you a little war story. A couple years ago, a friend of mine was accused of a crime. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the, who the friend is or what the crime was. I'm just going to say that I know this guy. There's no fucking way he could have done this particular deed. It's just completely fucking impossible. I will never believe it. But the cops were sure convinced that he did it, and they pursued him about it. Well, before he was formally arrested, he asked me for advice, so I told him to keep his mouth shut. Call my attorney, get him on retainer, and do not answer questions without the attorney present. In fact, don't answer questions at all. Instead, let my attorney do all the talking. My lawyer is going to know what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and all that other stuff. If the police have any kind of case, my friend is going to find out about it at the trial. Until then, he should let my shark of a lawyer do all the talking for him. And you know what? Not only did the police have no case against my friend, but my shark of a lawyer was able to poke holes in the defense's argument call their star witnesses' credibility into question, and ultimately get my wrongfully accused friend acquitted of all charges. And so, what's my point? If you ever get arrested, shut the fuck up and ask to speak to your attorney. I can't make it any simpler than that. Anyway. But if Jessica had done that, there would have been no drama in the third issue, so I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. But people, don't follow Jessica's example. If you're ever accused of something by the cops and then questioned about it, shut your fucking mouth until your lawyer gets there. And then you let him do all your talking for you. Anyway. Now, apart from that stuff, then you get into the art by Michael Gatiss. It's dense, dark, rich, and atmospheric. Characters all have individual likenesses, and so, as a result of that, you don't need those cutesy little captions to, to identify who's who. It's all right there in the art. Of course, art like this usually isn't any good for action sequences, and that's very much the case here. There are several fight scenes in this story, and Gatiss really struggles with making those appear dynamic and engaging. Now, don't get me wrong, Gatiss does great when he has to draw moody scenes that are set on dark streets with characters having mysterious conversations with one another and all that stuff, but he kind of drops the nachos a little bit when it comes to action. But he does well enough all around that I'm willing to excuse it. Specifically, he's great with facial expressions, because there's a moment at the end of the first issue where Jessica witnesses Steve Rogers put on his Captain America gear, and then leap off into action. In the very last panel of that issue, she makes this facial expression that, honestly, it really does defy words, but you can see the, the wonder, amazement, 
and let's face it, confusion all right there on her face. Now, an audio medium like this is really no good for explaining the way, like the type of facial expression that she makes, but if you take a look at that panel, you'll see what I'm talking about. Meanwhile, earlier in the first comic, Jessica takes it up the backside, and she makes a face that... I mean, well, again, it's totally believable considering what's happening to her at that moment. Later, during Jessica's uh, conference with the phony sister, the phony sister has this sort of vacant expression on her face throughout the entire conversation. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. The dialogue is naturalistic, like I say, but it's, it's like the woman's struggling to remember her exact lines, and you can kind of see that on her face. She's trying to remember what she's supposed to say next. And it just works, you know? Anyway. So overall, I, I really dig this storyline. I like this series, and I love Jessica Jones. This series came and went, and it seems like most people never heard of it, but Jessica's finally starting to get some appreciation thanks to that Netflix show. Even so, she shouldn't need a show on Netflix in order to get people interested in her. Check out these comics. If you like noir stories mixed with superheroes, this is right up your alley, so check it out. Satisfaction guaranteed. Now, as to the rest of this series, I'm going to come back to Alias at some time in the future. Right now, and I mean like the way that it is right now, I've got my Brian Michael Bendis appreciation miniseries set for the end of June 2016. But people, things change. So it may happen sooner or it may happen later. But sooner or later, I'll do that Bendis appreciation miniseries. And when I do... I'll include the next story arc in the Alias series. You can count on it. For right now, though, I'm going to take a break. Be right back after these messages. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who, I don't care for anime, I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series, or issue, or character, or whatever to talk about, and then I... Well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. 
The show is located at www.viewsfromalongbox.com. And from there, you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to, from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it dot com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman, one half month at a time, every Thursday at www. SupermanHomePage.com and www.FortressOfBailitude.com back now and although I've got a couple of emails and things that I I could you know go through and talk about and all that stuff honestly I'm just not really in the mood I've been listening to the latest episode of views from the long box for a while now I basically just listened to it and stuff during my during my commute to and from work right this is episode 203, Eight Years and Holding, and it's basically the eight-year anniversary of Views from the Long Box. And it's also another in, uh, I guess, this sort of irregular series that Michael Bailey's got going 
uh, called Finding Your Comic Book Joy. And the premise of it actually seems rather simple, basically. Instead of sitting around all day on the internet whining and complaining about a bunch of things related to the comic book industry that you really can't control, why not just enjoy the comics that you do enjoy? And the framing device for it in this episode is, by which I mean this episode of Views from the Long Box, is Michael Bailey's recent acquisition of an iPad and how this has pretty much revolutionized his comic book reading and just all the comics and things that he's been reading lately, what a joy it's been, and specifically a little bit of free advertisement for the Marvel Unlimited app, which I'm not quite sold on yet, but I'm getting there. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But basically his point is that having this iPad allows them to just burn through so many more comics than uh, would have ever been possible otherwise. And honestly, there's really no way to know for sure why exactly it is that having an iPad speeds up your comic book reading. I can just say from personal experience that yes, in fact, it does do that. And I, I like I say, I really don't understand how exactly that's possible, because if you think about it, it really shouldn't make all that big a difference, but somehow it does. I don't know. And I guess to sort of ride on Bailey's coattails a little bit, that's kind of been the position that I've been in. And, and forgive me, I'm at the time that I record this, I'm actually still a little sick, so if I sound, you know, stopped up and uh, and if my voice sounds a little bit raspy and whatnot, well... Now you know why. But anyway, so that's pretty much the situation that I've been in for a couple of years now because I've had an iPad of my own for a while. And I've been using a... I, I, I'm not actually a, a Marvel uh, Unlimited uh, subscriber. Uh, instead, I use this... Uh, uh, I, I use an app called... Uh, this is called uh, Cloud Readers. And... Specifically, what I've been reading lately, it's a uh, uh, it, this is a uh, a storyline. It's an X-Men storyline called Age of Apocalypse. I'm sure a lot of you are probably familiar with it, but I wasn't. And the I guess the catalyst for this is uh, it, it really does go back to this. Um, uh, it basically goes back to the Extinction Level Event uh, miniseries that I did among a, w with, among a, a other co-hosts, um, Scott Rifen. He and I talked about House of M. And for some reason, that unintentionally started a little bit of not just a Marvel kick, but specifically an X-Men kick. Now, here's the deal. I know precisely jack shit about the X-Men. In fact, I really don't know a whole lot about Marvel Comics in general. I really don't know a whole lot about the X-Men. And there's really no good reason for that apart from this prejudice I've got about how difficult and impenetrable their continuity is. It's just really hard to get into those stories based on really absolutely nothing except my own suppositions. So I decided, you know, I'm just going to read a couple of X-Men comics and, uh, you know, continuity be damned. I'm going to just try getting into these things because the way I see it, 
X-Men comics have sold millions of copies over the years, and there's got to be a good reason for that. And so, I don't know. I just wanted to read some some X-Men comics. And, you know, who's to say? Maybe I'll talk about it on the show at some point, and maybe I won't. But i got to tell you, it's just been a lot of fun to just sit there and read comics. Make sense? There's no agenda to it. There's no show that needs to that that requires me to read uh, these comics. There's no show prep to be done. It's basically just chilling out and enjoying comics. And that was sort of the attitude that I, or, or I guess the sort of mindset that I kind of entered into when I started listening to uh, Michael Bailey's uh, Views from the Long Box. Uh, episode, shit, now I've already forgot. This is, I think, episode 203. Uh, the next Finding Your Joy thing that he did with um, the Irredeemable Shag, right? And it's just, it's just been fun. I mean, first off, this is just kind of a fun storyline to begin with. You know, it's a fun action movie type of romp. And I'm sure there are ramifications this has to continuity that aren't necessarily going to be immediately apparent, at least in this story. And... You know, whatever, that's fine. But the point is, it's just, it. I'm really enjoying this particular story. And I think a great big part of that is is due to the fact that it's got this this main starting place, right? It, uh, it really starts, like, I guess chapter one is, uh, it, it's a standalone special called X-Men Alpha. And then from there, the story, such as it is, splits off into a shitload of different uh, miniseries that are sort of takeoffs on the uh, established X-Men uh, comics that were coming out at the time, the monthly books from circa 1995, right? So rather than the uncanny X-Men, you have the astonishing X-Men. Rather than Generation X, you have Generation Next. Rather than Wolverine, you've got Weapon X, you know, so on and so on and so on. There's tons of them to choose from. There's X-Man rather than Cable and so forth. And basically all of these, at least as I, I haven't read them all yet, so I don't know for sure. But what I'm guessing is that these all tell their own story in the Age of Apocalypse timeline or the Age of Apocalypse universe, just however you want to view it. But they don't necessarily interrelate with one another. They're both, they're all kind of doing their own thing. And you don't need to read everything else in order to enjoy just that one title, right? And so I've already finished the Astonishing X-Men miniseries, and I'm working my way through the Amazing X-Men series. And probably what I'm going to do is uh, knock out Weapon X and then just finish off uh, this miniseries with uh, the finale of it, you know, X-Men Prime, number one. And then, you know, maybe someday in the future I'll come back to Age of Apocalypse and read the rest of the miniseries or, or just whatever. I don't know. And then from there, that got me to thinking, you know, it would actually be a lot of fun maybe to, you know, read some other X-Men comics. And so I went ahead and acquired a few of those through possibly the obvious channels. And so I guess to start with, um, it, again, not necessarily to talk about on this show, but at some point in the future... Maybe, for, at least for me to read. I've got, um, this is uh, X-Men Onslaught. And uh, 
I, I would imagine a lot of you are probably going to be familiar with that with, with that storyline anyway, but it's basically this it's kind of hard to describe, but it's it's not exactly a figment of everybody's imagination, but it's I, I guess the manifestation of I guess a merging together of Magneto and Professor X. So there's that going on. And uh, really, I guess the genesis for all this comes from the storyline Fatal Attractions. And speaking of Fatal Attractions, I'm actually going to read that first, and then maybe I'll read Blood Ties or something, you know, the sequel to uh, Fatal Attractions. Then after that, I'll, I'll probably read the, uh, the uh, Onslaught uh, series and just work my way through that. And the point is, you know, as I say, I'm not a huge Marvel guy, you know, never have been, and... When I really start thinking about it, you know, there's really no good reason for that. You know, these are comics that I should, I should at least check them out, just so I can, if for no other reason, so I can just say that I've read them. And I started just kind of thinking about just how, you know, Marvel illiterate I truly am. And so what I decided to do after that is, as the next reading project after all of that, is going to be the... Uh, as much as I can, the Chris Claremont uh, run on uh, Uncanny X-Men, because his run is probably the most legendary run that the X-Men have ever had. And so it it just seems wrong-headed to me somehow to uh, uh, not check it out. So, you know, got that coming up. Again, that's going to be in the, you know, incredibly distant future, and it may or may not be uh, subject matter for this episode, uh, this episode, um, it may or may not be subject matter for this podcast, you know, who's to say, but I at least want to, I, I at least want to read it. So that's what I'll be doing. Then after that, I decided, you know what? Fuck it. I'm really going to go for it now and, uh, expand my Marvel knowledge. And so I'm, what I'm going to do is read the complete John Byrne run on Fantastic Four and just kind of get an understanding about that, you know, some insight. And again, uh, the, you know, the Fantastic Four, uh, John Byrne's run is one of the best runs, so I'm told, that the Fantastic Four ever had. And so, again, maybe I'll talk about it on the show at some point, and maybe I won't. But at the very least, it's going to be... It'll be different from what I, you know, from the things that I usually read. So, anyway, put a pencil to it. Then after that, I decided, you know what? I've actually never really read the Roger Stern run on Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, not from beginning to end. I've read individual issues, but like as a designated eh, reading project. I've just, I've never really done that. So, um, something to, I don't know, something to think about there. So... I'm, I'm going to, after Fantastic Four and the John Byrne stuff, I'm going to just move right on over to Amazing Spider-Man with Roger Stern. And then just to kind of round the whole thing out, I decided I really don't know a whole lot about the Avengers either. I mean, I've seen the movies and I've read the Ultimates and all that stuff, but as far as like Avengers comics, I just really don't know a whole lot about the Avengers as a team. So, say it with me, I'm going to be reading the Avengers too, specifically the uh, Kurt Busiek run. And the reason I, I, I chose uh, Kurt Busiek was, um, really, it's actually due to the fact that I uh, consider myself to be kind of a Kurt Busiek fan. I mean, I'm not the biggest uh, Kurt Busiek fan in the entire world, but I'm, I, I hear a whole lot of good things 
about his work on the Avengers. And plus, I just enjoy his work in general. And so why not read his work on the Avengers? Seems to make sense. And so I guess my point in, in saying all of this is that Bailey's show, that episode, was all about finding your comic book joy. And one of the things that's just tragically apparent to me in the modern comic book marketplace is that there's just not very much new stuff out there for me to buy. I mean, I guess if I if if I really put in the effort, I could probably find, you know, four, maybe five titles that really grab my interest. But honestly, there's just I guess it comes down to, you know, like how much do you really want it, you know? And I've just been I don't want to use the word alienated because that's sort of or disenfranchised or anything like that because I, f I feel like number one that's sort of a back to the bins type of thing, and number two, I'm not really sure if that's even completely true, you know. But at the same time, I just don't have the same passion for new comics that I had. A well, shit that I had even five years ago. It's just. Something is just fundamentally fucking broken with this industry right now. And I'm not sure if I'm the problem or if the publishers are the problem or what. But, you know, when you move away from wanting to, you know, point fingers and assign blame and do all of that kind of stuff, the fact of it remains, it just doesn't feel like there's a whole lot that's coming out right now for me. Does that make sense? And so rather than, I guess, piss and whine about it and, you know, uh, subject you guys to a bunch of endless rants and whatnot, I've decided to just basically focus in on the stuff that I do enjoy. And really, I think that's what Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is all about. You know, the basically the things about comics that I do enjoy, or at least that I could enjoy, because, I mean, I've had some episodes where I've had some maybe less than positive things to say about at least certain comics. But in general, this isn't supposed to be like an angry podcast, you know, or a ranting podcast or anything like that. Ultimately, it's supposed to be a love letter to the comics that I do enjoy. And so that's really, as I see it, that's really what I'm here to do. And so that's what I've that, that's what I've tried to always uh, tried to always focus on. And as I look back on the history of this show, though, what that's usually translated to is primarily DC comics. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with DC comics. I'm a DC guy, but there is another publisher out there, another major publisher out there that has a lot of interesting things to offer. And it feels, again, it just, it feels kind of wrongheaded of me to just leave all of that on the table, you know? And that's really the, I guess, the point of all of this. And again, it relates back to, I guess, maybe the original uh, Find Your Comic Book Joy episode of, of uh, uh, Views from the Long Box, where Bailey and Shag just, dropped all the bullshit and they just talked about the comics that have really meant something to them over the years not in like huge detail or anything like that but hey man you, you remember when this issue came out or, or when that storyline came out wasn't that friggin awesome 
and just try to spare the negativity and the ranting and the bile and all that stuff, you know? And I don't know. And it, it may just be that I'm getting old, you know? I'm willing to accept that as a possibility. But I just don't have the same energy anymore for that kind of negativity and that kind of anger and, you know, bile. I just, I don't, I don't think I can do that anymore, you know? I remember when I was in my 20s, I would, I would argue with anybody, anytime, about anything, anywhere. It didn't matter to me. You know, I was young and full of beans, and, you know, something changes in life, you know? I don't know what it is, but it's something, I don't know, it's just, it's different you know, as you get older, and it's not necessarily a, always going to be about winning the argument or proving your point or anything like that. Sometimes, sometimes in life, all you really want is just a little bit of peace. Does that make sense? Not everything has to be some kind of righteous moral crusade where you have to right all the wrongs and, and all of that stuff. I mean... I'm, I, I'll just say it, I'm too old for for that and honestly I look back on life and I realize that I've been maybe a little bit prejudicial against comics that I should have been a little bit more open-minded about and so the idea like I say is to just sort of broaden my knowledge of Marvel comics that by circumstance or by design, just, you know, whatever it is that happened, I've sort of avoided over the years, you know, read those. And the first salvo of all that, as I say, was Age of Apocalypse. And it blows my mind how enjoyable this story is. I mean, no, these are not the greatest comic books that have ever been published. Let's be clear on that. But damned if they're not a lot of fun, you know? And ultimately, there's nothing wrong with just wanting to have... A little bit of peace you know have something that's yours and you don't have to I don't know you don't, like I said you don't, you don't have to turn everything into some kind of fucking moral crusade it's okay to just let go of the anger and just just enjoy or not enjoy comics you know you can try something new and maybe maybe it's not your cup of tea and that's fine move on to something that is whatever but I guess what I'm saying is, I'm really on board with this whole finding your comic book joy thing, that series, that, you know, irregular series that uh, Michael Bailey seems to do, and uh, really hope to see more episodes. So, Bailey, in the unlikely event that you're listening to this, I really hope you, you take this the way it, it's intended. It's supposed to be encouraging to you, so, uh, you know, keep on producing those things. So, hopefully that's what you got from it. So... Anyway, so I think that's pretty much that. Now, as to next week, my Women in Comic Book uh, series continues with uh, Batgirl, number one to four. This is the uh, Cassandra Kang uh, Batgirl series from like 1999, 2000, 2001, something like that. It's around there. And uh, that's, uh, that's going to be what the uh, series is all about. So, Or that episode, I should say, is uh, all about. So uh, come back next week for that. So for right now, bye, everybody. I will see you next week.
This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners and the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at Relatively Geeky Podcast blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. Okay, I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, can I with it then? Okay, okay, here we go. <clears throat> Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, the Mighty Thor, the Captain America. Wow, being dramatic there, aren't we? Do, do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You, you're good. Okay. You've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, mm-hmm. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with the anime before we had a full film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. He's not looking Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So um, maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently, or will one day be in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found... <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com, and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad? Don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh, 
Yeah, Avengers Inspirations podcast. Listen and stuff. Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at Trentus Magnus at gmail.com Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday and that's a promise Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows That's right Simply click the PayPal link donate any amount at all Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play, Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Do not remove this tag under penalty of law. All models are over the age of 18. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with DeMonzacore of Milan, Italy.